Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hi, thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. This week, we're diving deep into the interior of the Earth with Phil Skemmer. Skemmer heads the Rock Deformation Lab here at Washington University in St. Louis, which means a big part of his job is trying to replicate what goes on deep inside our planet by heating rocks up, squishing them, and seeing what happens. Most of this work goes on in a laboratory, but as a geologist, he has learned that the real stories are told within the rocks themselves. To explain, he first takes us to Norway. I had sort of a um, transformative experience. I was on a field trip, and, and geologists, by the way, we like to take field trips. Um, so, you know, it's always important for us to go out in the field and look at rocks in the field and try to ground truth our, our laboratory predictions or, or our theoretical predictions in actual rocks. And so I was on this field trip um, in Norway, um, and I was looking, I was on a, in a place called Otroy Island. I'm probably mispronouncing that. And this location, this outcrop of rocks, contains some of the deepest rocks ever exposed at Earth's surface. It's this massive pile of mantle that's been brought up from uh, seven or eight gigapascals of pressure, which means maybe 250 kilometers deep in the Earth. So this is a rock that was formed and, and or evolved deep inside the Earth and came all the way to the surface. Anyway, I'm, I'm sort of climbing up and down this outcrop, I'm looking at it, and I started to see um, sort of a fine scale structure to the rock. And, you know, the way the mantle had always been described to me was, well, it's basically this one mineral, this mineral olivine, okay? And, and so um, that's how I pictured it in my own mind. And then I'm standing on this piece of rock and I'm seeing all of these other minerals. And I'm starting to see how, I'm, I'm looking at it and seeing well, it looks like these minerals are interacting with one another. Maybe this other mineral is playing an important role in deformation. And that drove a lot of my research, and it still is driving a lot of my research today, is, is understanding, well, what happens when you take that, that one mineral, olivine, and what happens when you add some other stuff? Because as a geologist, when you go out in the field, that's actually what you see, is you see this interaction of multiple minerals. And so that was a really... It was an exciting uh, experience for me, um, and and I think it's it represents a lot of what's important to me about earth science, which is that we're able to make observations, physical observations, outside in in nature, and then bring them back to the lab and actually understand the underlying process or processes that control how things happen in the earth. Back in St. Louis, Skemmer continues to work on these types of questions in his rock deformation lab. There, he and his colleagues reproduce some of the ways that rocks change shape as a result of plates moving around at Earth's surface. And he's interested in one area in particular. The goal of a lot of my research is to study what's going on at the base of the plates in a layer called the asthenosphere. So we have the lithosphere, which is the rigid stuff that slides around, and then the asthenosphere is this uh, mushy layer um, that sort of lubricates the plates and allows them to slide back and forth. As you might remember from an earth science class at some point, 
this plate movement is driven by convection. This is a process that you can witness on a small scale every time you boil water or brew a pot of coffee. We're heating it from below and cooling it from above. And when you heat the, the water at the base of your coffee pot, it becomes uh, buoyant and rises up. And then the water close to the top, to, to the surface layer of the water, is cool and becomes relatively dense and sinks down. And so you generate these large-scale circulation currents within your boiling pot of water. On a much larger scale, the same thing is happening inside our planet. So we have the, the mantle, and the mantle is being heated from below by energy that's, that's coming out of the core, and is being cooled from above by the fact that we have an atmosphere that's at roughly room temperature. Um, so we're heating the mantle from below, it's causing these large convective currents, and those convective currents are what drives plate tectonics. So that's what's happening deep below our feet. But how do you bring these conditions into a laboratory? The amount of heat and pressure that we're talking about here is hard to get your head around. And not many places do this. There are fewer than 10 labs in the country that study this sort of rock mechanics. And this presents some challenges. Unlike a lot of other types of labs that people may visit or have some experience with, we can't just go to the store and buy a rock deformation apparatus. There's no company that makes them. Um, so what we do is, well, we either use an apparatus that someone else has made in the past or we have to make our own. So if you don't have it, build it. Members of the lab are now creating a one-of-a-kind instrument called a Large Volume Torsion Apparatus, or LVT. This will be used in addition to a tool built back in the 60s called a Griggs apparatus. The difference between those is that the, the Griggs apparatus, the older apparatus, when it deforms rocks, it's only able to deform them a little bit. This LVT will be able to create much larger amounts of strain or changes in the rocks. But with either instrument, the changes we're talking about are not as drastic as I first imagined. Scummer isn't sticking a baseball-sized stone into a machine and then pressing a button. Uh, first of all, the, the rocks that we stick in these apparatuses are very small. Um, we're dealing with things that might be a quarter inch in diameter and maybe a millimeter or two thick, so little tiny disks of rock. And the reason for this is that to generate really large pressures, the pressures in the interior of the Earth, we have to apply a very large force to a very small area. Um, that's the definition of pressure, in fact, is force divided by area. So they're taking a large hydraulic press that can apply 100 tons of force and pushing on something that's a little disc, a quarter inch in diameter. These types of pressures resemble what happens many tens of kilometers into the interior of the Earth. But there's more than pressure at work here. The scientists also have to generate high temperatures. And the way we generate temperature uh, is we take something, it's a little bit, it's the same principle as an incandescent light bulb, where you run a lot of current through a, some sort of filament. In an incandescent light bulb, it might be a tungsten filament. In our lab, we'd use a little tube of graphite and run lots and lots of electricity through this tiny little tube until it heats up and heats up the adjacent sample. After that, it's time for the analysis. 
we'll, we'll actually just take those rocks once they've been squished or twisted or whatever we've however we've tortured them. Um, we'll take those rocks out of the apparatus and we'll slice a little section out of it and we'll look at it using electron microscopy. We use a technique called electron backscatter diffraction, which is a way of looking at the grain scale structure of a rock um, or any number of other analytical tools. So a lot of what we're doing is looking at the rock after it's been deformed and trying to understand what happened to it while it was inside our apparatus. The tiny rock samples being studied are hardly random. Remember, Skemmer wants to find out what's happening in the part of the mantle called the asthenosphere, the mushy part. This means studying specific types of rocks and minerals. The beauty of the mantle um, is it only has four minerals. <laughs> so uh, at least the upper, the upper mantle is, is, is actually made of, of just uh, a handful of different components. Um, the most abundant mineral in the upper mantle is this mineral called olivine. Uh, your listeners may be more familiar with this, uh, more familiar with the gemstone peridot. Just a quick aside here, I don't mic myself during interviews, but in case anyone else at this point was scrambling to remember what peridot looks like, I thought I'd play my actual follow-up question to this point. So this is still me you're about to hear. Peridot, is that blue or green? It's green, it's right behind you. I had no idea that yep. the inside of the Earth was green. The upper, the upper, down to about 400 kilometers, uh, it's all green. But if you go a little bit deeper, uh, there's a mineral called ringwoodite, which is bright blue. So, in fact, there is a blue layer uh, from about 520 kilometers to 660 kilometers. I'm picturing a diagram of the Earth in a totally different But way. I'll tell you what, it's so, <laughs> it's so hot that if you were actually looking at it, it would be glowing white. Once you go down that deep in the earth, you're talking. The temperatures are, you know, 1,200, 1,400 degrees, 1,600 degrees Celsius. So if you've ever seen a rock glowing at 1,600 degrees Celsius, it's it's bright white. Kilometer upon kilometer of green and blue rock glowing white. Surprising, right? At least it was for me. Anyway, this green mineral olivine probably makes up about 70% of the upper mantle. So it makes sense that that's what Skemmer focuses on. So we do experiments on just that one material. And the other thing we'll do is take maybe two or three minerals, mix them together, and look to see how having a three mineral system or a two mineral system deviates from a more idealized case where you start with one mineral. Um, so yeah, we're looking at we're looking at several different minerals and how they interact with one another mechanically. This takes us back to the beginning of our episode, when Skemmer saw rocks in Norway and realized that the mantle was more complex than he'd realized before. By trying to figure out the story inside these rocks, he's really trying to figure out how Earth works. Why does Earth have plate tectonics at all, when a similar planet like Venus doesn't? If we can understand that, maybe we can understand why planets can be habitable and how likely that might be elsewhere in the universe. But these big questions aren't the only things that brought Skemmer into the world of Earth science. People find their way to Earth science in many different ways. You know, I became, I became a geologist because I wanted to be outside. 
that's the sort of the full disclosure is, is you know, I, I majored in geology because I wanted to go backpacking and rock climbing and do all these things. Um, and I fell in love with it because it, you know, it gave me an opportunity to do science, but also to study a system that's really important to us. You know, the earth is where we live and it's the only place I think most of us are ever going to live. Um, and understanding its basic structure and its basic evolution um, is just something that's really exciting to me. Um, I really, I, I want to understand how the earth works. Um, and, and for me, being able to sort of bridge this, this gap between being a field geologist and looking at rocks and then doing this high-level uh, experimental work in the lab is, is really gratifying. Many thanks to Phil Scummer for joining Hold That Thought. For many more ideas to explore, please visit holdthatthought.wustl.edu. You can also keep up with the latest on Facebook and Twitter or subscribe to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening.